Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Rob. And this is Ask Rob and Rob. Hello everyone and welcome to Ask Rob and Rob, the show where you keep bringing us questions and we keep giving you answers. And this week is absolutely no different. We've got two crackers in. Thank you to those people and everyone who keeps sending them in. And the reason why they keep coming in is probably because we do keep answering them, but also we make it very simple, Rob. It certainly is. Just pick up the phone and call 013-808-0035. That's 013-808-0035. Or if you would prefer to do it from the safety of your laptop, you can go to thepropertyhub.net slash ask. Both methods work equally well. Just make sure you get your question in. Then you might have it answered, just like Sam is about to. Hi, Rob and Rob. My name's Sam. Um, First of all, thank you for the great input that we get from your podcast. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, great source of information and uh, I'm a regular listener but my question for today was uh, as a cash buyer what are the advantages and disadvantages that I and and, uh, any other cash um, buyers or investors should be looking at is there any pitfalls um, any real benefits um, anything in particular so if you could let us know that'd be great okay brilliant thank you Lovely position to be in, hey, Sam. Cash buyer, well done. Okay, so cash buyers, do you have an advantage? Sometimes, because it's going to depend on the vendor. Being a cash buyer doesn't automatically put you in a stronger position than someone who's buying, let's say, with a mortgage. And let's explain why. If somebody is selling a property and they are in no rush to sell, then someone buying with a mortgage or cash really makes no difference to that person. But the situation can change when you're dealing with a motivated vendor, a vendor being the person who wants to sell. If you have a motivated vendor, then a cash buyer can put themselves in a very strong position, particularly if they're highly motivated. The more motivated this person is to sell and move quickly, the stronger the cash buyer's position. So a cash buyer can absolutely put themselves in a stronger position if they understand the vendor's needs. But don't just automatically assume in any transaction that you're in a stronger position because you're a cash buyer. So understand the wants and needs of the person you're buying from. Another advantage, of course, is if you are competing against somebody who needs to move quickly and they're using financing costs, your cash flow may be a bit stronger. So you may be able to push it a little bit higher than they can on a deal as well if it's starting to get competitive. So yes, there are advantages, not guaranteed, but in the right circumstances, being a cash buyer can be very, very powerful. But as well as having the pound notes and being a cash buyer, there are other ways to present yourself as a cash buyer, even though you're technically not. Yeah, exactly. If you use some kind of short-term finance like bridging, then you are to all intents and purposes, a cash buyer, because you know that that type of finance can be arranged very quickly. So if you know that you can arrange bridging finance, maybe you've had a conversation with a lender and you know that they're going to be able to lend to you, then you are effectively a cash buyer because it's not the case of getting a mortgage and waiting two, three months for it to come through. You can be done in a couple of weeks. So a couple of weeks for a bridging loan versus having the cash in your bank today doesn't actually make any difference because the conveyancing process is probably going to take about a month at least anyway. So if you are in one of those situations that Rob described where being a cash buyer would be useful, then you can actually achieve the same effect without physically having the cash. But as he rightly says, it's not going to be the magic bullet every time. Speaking of financing, we've got another question from Barnaby who wants to know about financing flips. 
Hi guys, my name is Barnaby. I uh, love the Property Podcast. Uh, the question I've got for you guys is about finance, financing short-term flips. Because uh, I'm about to refinance uh, two properties up in Leeds to draw down some equity and would like to do up and flip a student or a granny-style semi-detached house for the target area I've been following. Um, I've got the capital for a deposit and the renovation, uh, and I don't think I'd struggle too much to get a third mortgage. However, these mortgages, when I look at them, often have early repayment fines, which can end up being quite a large percent of the amount borrowed. So I wondered if you had any suggestions for financing, say, like a sort of six-month project. Um, I mean, should I be looking at budgeting in bridging finance or transferable mortgages or possibly getting a mortgage on a standard variable rate that might not have the repayment fees. But yeah, be interested to hear your thoughts on that matter. Um, thanks very much, chaps. All right, bye-bye. How convenient, Rob. It's like we selected them to go together. So, Bonamy, great question. Rob, what's your thoughts on this one? Okay, so you're looking at mortgages that have got a hefty early repayment fee, and that's making it unattractive to use for a flip, which is just going to be a short, maybe six-month project. Well, there's a reason for that. That is exactly why they put these fees in there. They don't want you to be using mortgages for something so short-term. When you take out a mortgage, it's intended to be for at least a few years. So you'll get a 25-year term, Maybe there'll be a two-year fix, three-year fix, five-year fix. But even if not, even if there's no fixed period at all, they're still expecting you to hold on to that mortgage for a bit. They don't want you to be using what they see as a long-term project for something that you're just going to use to do a quick flip and then redeem inside a year. Now, that's not to say that you can't do it. You might have done it yourself or you might have come across people who have. They've used a mortgage for this purpose. They've either found one that's got a low or no early redemption fee or they've just factored those fees in and paid it anyway and it still works out at a price that makes sense for them. And that's fine. People have done it, but they really shouldn't. The risk is that if the lender suspects that you're doing this deliberately, then they may well refuse to lend to you again. And because they all share information... They might pass this information to other lenders as well who will also refuse to lend to you. Because, of course, if you do it once, then, you know, th things change. You might buy a property, then suddenly you have to move for work or something happens in your life and you have to sell the property and redeem the mortgage straight away. You can see it happening once. But if it happens two, three times, then they're going to start getting suspicious. So it really depends on your own comfort level whether you want to do it at all. What you should be doing is either using cash or using bridging finance. Now, bridging is more expensive than a mortgage. The fees are higher and the rates are higher as well. So that's why people do use mortgages if they can. But bridging really is the correct tool to use. So Barnaby, the reason why you're finding these fees off-putting is because that's the intention. If you can find one that still works for you, then it's really up to your own risk tolerance whether you want to do that or not. Otherwise, do look at bridging. Rates aren't as expensive as you might think. There are some good deals out there and you might find that it's actually more competitive than a mortgage after factoring in all those fees anyway. Well, I think you nailed that one, Mr. D. Well done. A big thank you to Sam and Barnaby for sending in your questions. I hope you feel better and more confident about going on your property journey now. And thank you to everybody who keeps leaving reviews for the podcast as well. Through 500, unbelievable, which makes us the most popular business podcast on iTunes by some distance. So thank you. It's lovely hearing you say each week that you enjoy it, but it's lovely reading about it on iTunes reviews as well. Hopefully those who haven't are starting to get the hint. 
I hope so. Otherwise, we're just going to gradually ratchet up the guilt every week until you do. Right. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back on Thursday with the Property Podcast. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.